Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by 3M, PPG, and Breakthrough Academy. Welcome to Paint Ed. My name is Torlando. I am your host. So good to be with you today. Uh, got a really exciting uh I, i'm really excited for today's episode especially for you guys out there and gals who are really invested in growing your sales engine this is the episode for you uh we we're, we're bringing the heat today really excited uh got mr isaac vogel with uh, handy products with us and he has a really strong background in the uh, paint contract space. He was a, a, a paint contractor, uh, former paint contractor, saw a lot of success. Very smart, intelligent sales guy uh, bringing him on. And uh, this is going to be a good one. Before we jump into the show, of course, I want to let you know that this episode can be uh, streamed directly to your earbuds via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Make sure that you're subscribed. And if you don't have our app, make sure that you download it. PCO Overdrive, 500 hours of video content, $5.99 a month or free with your PCA membership. Um, sales is, is fun for me. I, I, I enjoy it. I have a good time with it. Um, I've been... Uh, doing a lot of experimentation um over the years uh i like developing sales processes uh what's funny is that i wasn't initially in a sales guy i wasn't completely interested in in the sales i was really more of a the the production type you know i liked doing the work i liked painting um you know i i my art i have an art background i went to school for art and so for me painting was you know i felt like i could do it forever you know but thing is you get a little bit older and and your back starts to wear out and maybe you know your wrists and knees and joints and all that start to take a toll and so you start to find different areas in the business and for me the next area to tackle after becoming a, a high quality painter was to improve that sales process and the thing is is i you know i got to that point where uh, i felt good about the sales process i knew that if i uh you know hit a couple you know hit different marks and did different things that i would have a predictable closing ratio and after a while i figured out that hey maybe this process is trainable and it is in my and in my my opinion and I think my guest might disagree with me just a little bit here. In my opinion, I think that training the sales is actually easier than training the painting. That's my opinion. But I know a lot of people are afraid of it. I know a lot of people are concerned that if they bring somebody on, that the that person's not going to sell as well as they will, um, that they're not going to be able to get the same results, that they're going to be spending money and not getting a return. 
um, that they're going to be bidding things wrong, that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're essentially making the salesperson the new face of the company. And, and that could be challenging. Um, there's a lot to think about when taking that leap to build a sales team, but it's doable. And, and we're going to have a conversation about the ins and outs, the pros and cons, and what are the essential things that we need to think about and consider when we start to build our sales team and train them. So I told you, this is going to be a cool conversation. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and just jump right in. All right. Let's go ahead and bring on Mr. Isaac Vogel to the show. What's up, Isaac? Welcome to Paint Ed. Hey, Torlando. Thanks for having me. I uh, I can tell you have a production background because uh, you violated one of the one of the cardinal sales rules in that uh, I fear that you've oversold me uh, <laughs> only to have me under deliver. So I hope that's not the case, but um, you know we'll we'll give it our best shot. Well, you know, I gotta, I gotta give them a reason to listen, you know? So, so if, if you, if you turn out to be a total dud, I'll just be talking a lot. So there we go. <laughs> hey, now you're back. You're a sales guy. You're thinking on your feet. So, <laughs> so, so Isaac, tell us a little bit about your, um, your background. Um, you know, you're, you're here, of course, with, with handy products, everybody, everybody knows the paint pals, the red paint pals with the liners and everything. Everybody knows that, but but you have a background in painting, in paint contracting, especially on that sales end. Can, what can you tell us about your uh, your history with painting? Sure. Well, it's funny. I actually kind of backed into, um, I backed into the painting industry because prior to, to uh, getting into the industry, I think I was 32, um, I uh, had done a, a variety of different sales jobs, right? Um, uh, I've sold software. I've sold HR software. I've sold uh, football coaching headsets. Okay. Um, just si sort of random things. And um, I, I played basketball with a former business partner of mine. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time together and he was running a, a really successful painting company. And I did some sales consulting for him and it ultimately evolved into a, a full on partnership where, you know, we, um, we, we grew the business pretty significantly over the course of 11 years. And, uh, it, it was a really fun journey. I, if you had told me when I was 22 that I would be a painting contractor, I would have thought you were nuts, yeah. but, um, it's a, the, 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 probably the best part about it, Torlando is that, um, it's a very tangible honest and um uh great way to make a living yeah you know i i agree with you wholeheartedly you know i had uh you know my audience knows i probably mentioned it too much but i also you know took took a spin in the in the software game for a while and the that tangible nature of paint compared to uh the intangible nature of, of a software is is really nice um, yeah. as a, as a salesperson, as a professional, it's, it's really nice to be able to give some, somebody something that they can see something that has immediate impact, something where, um, you know, once you do it, it's done. Um, it, it is a very honest and good way to make a living. It's a good product. I think that, uh, 
on either side of, you know, when I was, when I first started in the painting industry and, and to where I am now, um, I definitely feel like I was, um, you know, had grass is greener syndrome. The grass was greener on the other side, but the problem was that I just wasn't watering my lawn enough. You know, I sure. just didn't, didn't appreciate it, uh, sure. for what it was. And, and you're absolutely right. So, um, so you didn't uh, stray too far. You're you're uh, you're on the vendor side here, but you've got um, you've got an immense. Uh, I think you've got. Oh, here I go overselling again. You got a lot to tell us about sales. Um, you yeah. know, you you had, you have the experience of building a sales team, and that's what I'm getting at. Like a lot yeah, of yeah. people just don't actually have that experience of building a, a sales team. Maybe they have one salesperson, um, maybe two, but for a lot of folks. Um, you know, they're, they're like me, they start painting. Um, they, uh, realize that they're too busy to do the paint work anymore. And so they start hiring people. Now they're selling all the time. And some people like doing the sales. Some people don't really like doing the sales. Um, some people just like leading people. This podcast, this episode, what we're discussing, this one is really for the folks that are interested in growing and building a sales team on that what do our listeners need to know about building, hiring people um, and teaching them how, you know, this weird world of, of paint? Because like you, most people that we hire to do sales, they've, they've, they've never thought about painting ever before in their lives. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Well, and, and there's a, there's probably a few reasons why, right. Um, in, in my opinion, in that, um, it's, it's not a, um, it's not immediately, it might, it might look tangible and, and it looks great when it's done, but it's not, a, it's not a sexy industry. You know what I mean? Ho, um, ho, ho, yeah, ho. Well, listen, <laughs> for those of us on the inside of it now, we certainly know that it is. But, you know, you're not graduating from college and saying, man, I want to go sell paint. Right. 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 But, but what's, what's, um. What people don't understand about it is just how vast the opportunity is. Um, I mean, think about it. There's 4,000 Sherwin-Williams stores yeah. in, in, in the United States. That is very indicative of how big the market is, right? I had no idea how big the market was when I got into it. And it surprised me every single year. I mean, there could be 200 painting contractors in a metro area, and you would never even cross paths. Right. You know? Right, right. So the opportunity well, and not only there. that, I mean, I want to blow this part up because you've got the 4,000 store, Sherman stores, but then you've got all of the independent dealers. You've got all oh, the big box stores. Um, you know, there's they're probably in any small town, town, there are probably, you know, five or six different places to buy paint. Right. And, and so, you know, if we think about it, you know, if you just do a quick, a quick mental analysis of the the cost of materials compared to the cost of labor, let's say it's somewhere between, you know, it depends on the scale. Cause you know, if, if you buy a lot of paint, you get volume discounts. So, so, and if you use higher quality products and that's probably going to be sure. a little bit more. So, so we're talking somewhere between 10 and 20% of your revenue is allocated to paint yeah, materials. And so if you have a Sherwin Williams store or another store that's, you know, selling, a million, two million, three million dollars worth of paint. Totally. Then that's twenty. You know, imagine that that's twenty percent, and now you have an idea of just how much painting services 
are going on in your house, uh, in your town, in, market. That's in right. your market. Yep. And, uh, and, and it's a lot. And, and, it is. and you, and you realize that you're really only scratching the surface of, of your market penetration. That's right. And it's in, in some regards, one of the attractive things about being a salesperson as a contractor is that there's a lot of opportunity, right? right? There's a big base on people to call, call on. Right. You know? Right. And I when think, you were selling NFL headsets, there were, you know, how many, there are only so many teams. Right. And it, it was <laughs> exactly, exactly. In fact, the NFL market was already secured. So we were selling it to smaller colleges. And even that is a relative to pain. It's a drop. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's very small comparatively. Right. So, so the, the opportunity is massive. There's paint yes. in every, nearly any room that you walk into, there's paint. Um, it's a massive opportunity and it's very yeah. attractive, but it has its challenges because sure. it is nuanced. How sure. do you, how do you begin to, um, you know, explain to a new sales rep who maybe is new to this? Um, how do you begin to kind of walk them through the process of knowing how to sell paint services? Well, I think it, it's just like this with anything, right? If you, if you meet somebody, you might identify in him or her that they possess skills that could be um, applicable to being a paint salesperson, right? Or a project salesperson or whatever the case may be. And one of the things I would always tell our sales staff is that you ultimately want to infuse the sales process with yourself, mm. right? You want to be authentic. You want to be sincere because not only I think customers will pick up on that, but you'll also enjoy your job more. If you can somehow infuse your daily, infuse yourself into your daily work, you're going to be more engaged. You right. Know what I mean? Right. And I, I think, um, there's a lot of opportunity to do that uh, in the paint industry. Um, and then for those of us that, you know, are in positions or have been in positions to identify those people, I think it's having the confidence in them that they can, they can be themselves while also um, uh, serving the ultimate goal, which is providing a service to somebody uh, congruent with what that person's desires are. Right. Objectives are, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, there, I mean, there's, there's research to back, um, you know, the, the strength and power of authenticity, sure. um, not only in, in, in salesmanship, but in, in leadership, people follow authentic leaders, people who are themselves. Um, yeah. We, we always hear things that, that people buy from people they know, like, and trust mm -hmm. liking somebody comes down usually to, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that they're authentic and, and sincere. Um, what other, what other qualities should we be looking for in a, in a salesperson? Number one, which is, which is transferable to anything sales related, uh, is curiosity. And I would say that for, for painting, particularly, um, contractors that call on residential clients, primarily, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they have to understand that they're being led into homes, Right. Yeah. So there's no greater invitation or uh, indication of trust, at least on the front end, of being invited into somebody's home. Right? right. They're letting you into their world in a way and letting you know what matters to them. The pictures of their kids on the wall, mm -hmm. uh, whatever the case may be. And curiosity about those things within, you know, in a boundary way, of course. Yeah. will inform the way that you engage with those people to ultimately arrive at what it is they're looking for in their paint project. 
Yeah, yeah. And and there's there's an aspect of where that fits in where there's um that building familiarity and rapport which is important. You know, I recall uh you know one instance where I was at a person's home and yeah, they have the pictures on the refrigerator and you know, I saw that their kids were in uh you know, a local high school choir that my younger siblings who were still in high school that they were in and that that quiet that you know here where i live that local choir community is really tight-knit and you try to like kind of support each other in what you're doing and and so that was that instance of me just being like oh you're you know your son is in in uh sounds of south that my sister's in sounds of south yeah and build building that layer of connection and community Yes, that came from me just being observant and curious about, you know, their environment, not That's just right. not being just all about brass tacks, but being willing to explore a little. That's right. And and I think like the, the then the next level of that is is that curiosity and that connectivity is applicable independent of the outcome of whether or not you work with that person. Right. Right. And And that's probably if I'm being honest, that's probably been the hardest part about being a sale, having a career in sales is that there's this stigma or perception of you as what's your angle, mm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's only after showing up time after time, after time, after time, where they say, well, this guy's always like this, right? Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's harder to teach, right? Yeah. I I'm, I'm wired that way. So that I probably don't have as much, um, uh, I don't understand not being wired that way. Sure. As well as I yeah. Should, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so then it becomes like in terms of identifying good salespeople, there's also an element of, um, what do they bring to the possess, table? Yeah. They're going to possess attributes that aren't right. similar to yours. They're, they might sure. do it differently and you got to have the trust in them, which is very difficult to, to, to develop. Right. Especially if you've, if you've, um, ushered in a, a successful era of growth right. for a company, letting go of that can be difficult. Yeah. Right. right. And also uh, entrusting people with representing your brand mm -hmm. and everything you've worked so hard for uh, to a, a slick salesperson, you know, right. Right. That's, right. that's the fear. That's sort of the fear. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and I, you know, I, I, find myself more and more talking about selectivity, especially with regards to sales, um, you know, not only being selective, um, having the attitude of, of selectiveness with the projects, but I would say that as a hiring manager to, to have that attitude of selectiveness when you're hiring, because when you do bring somebody into your company, um, they are going to be talking to you every day. Yep. And if you are just trying to, you know, fill a sales position with somebody who claims to be good at sales and you don't have that personal connection, that cultural fit, um, you know, that is you are hiring somebody that is immediately on borrowed time. Sure. Right. Because yeah. because it's, it's just not going to work in the long run. You can't force it. Now, this this word of curiosity, I think, is interesting, not only in the realm of rapport building and, and as a way to be a connector, but I think it's also important in terms of figuring out what the customer 
actually wants with regards to their their paint project. Can you tell us how you use curiosity or how you you tell or teach your your salespeople to use curiosity on the side of putting together the bid? Well, a- absolutely. And that starts with, you know, because like you said, oftentimes someone might come into the paint industry with a non-paint background, right? Yeah. So the curiosity will satisfy a number of different things. Number one, it will it will accelerate your learning curve by asking a bunch of questions, right? Right. And number two, it will it will thrust you into situations where you're going to learn more, so you'll have more of a foundation to engage with clients differently. I'll I'll see if I can provide some some more concrete examples. So when I was at the painting company, we had uh, three or four different foundational types of clients. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number one, we'd have homeowners, residential sure. homeowners. Okay. And number two, we would have homeowners that were selling their homes, but they would work with realtors. Realtors would engage with us. And then we would, you know, submit bids for work they might do in, in, in preparation to sell their home. Yep. Right. A big vertical that we worked in was HOAs. Okay. Yep. Uh, Townhome associations. Right. So these are three distinctly different customers, right. That in order to hone in on what it is they're looking for, you have to ask a lot of questions. And I, I understand and appreciate, you know, you, if you've ever heard any like sales training or anything like that, they'll often say, you know, ask questions and listen, that's all true. Right. But, but, but you have to take that a step further and then you have to contextualize those answers. And then you have to leverage your expertise so that there's this intersection of um, what they're looking for and what you can provide. Right. 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 And that's that's sort of where the that's where the magic is. Right. So like someone being curious going into a homeowner, like for, to go call on a single family homeowner. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's say they're painting an exterior. Mm-hmm. Okay? You might ask questions like, hey, how long have you owned the home? I see your siding is cedar. Um, how long are you going to stay in the home? What, do, what are your plans? Right. Mm-hmm. These types of questions. And then this is where doing the work comes in, into play. If you do the work and you're an expert at your craft by doing the work, right? you're ready to provide them with some options in real time to put that in the context of what their objectives are for their project. Right. We kind of talked before the show started about like how sort of the lazy way of doing this is if you go to a high-end neighborhood and it's a two or $3 million home, right? Um, the assumption is, oh, they have money. They're going to buy expensive stuff. Right. Not what if they're case. selling their house and they just want the walls to look good? So they just want a color that matches their current color and they want showings to present well, but right. they don't want to spend an arm and a leg. Well, the only way you determine that is ask a question, right? right? Yes. And actually, in my experience, it's been the exact opposite that if you engage with that customer, like they're any other customer with, that's on a budget, just like any of us are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that builds trust. Yes. Big time. Yes. Right? Yes. Um. So, and then curiosity as far as like the, um, the HOAs go, right? So any contractors that have townhome associations or multifamily or, you know, larger commercial jobs. Sometimes the assumption is that the, because it's a big project, it's only motivated by price, low mm-hmm. price, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's sort of a limited way of looking at it. And you have to have the energy and the um, desire to go into each situation and truly unearthing what the motivations are for that particular client and not have assumptions about it. 
Yeah, it kind of calls into question the definition of value. Um, you know, I think that a lot of times when, you know, our our gurus are out there talking, you know, preaching value, they tend to be talking about what are you doing to up the price? You know, what right. are you what are you adding on? What are you, you know, what are you providing for value that's going to allow you to up that price? But I don't think that value is necessarily um, it's not always a, a high price. And I, and I always use this example of, you know, the, the, the crown jewel is, is obviously something of, of great value. But if you go down to Walmart you, and you look on the shelves, they've got a lot of generic products that also have the great value brand on it. And so that word value is really subjective and it's really about the alignment of the quality or lack thereof and the budget of the customer. That's right. It's it's caring enough about them and investing the time and energy into them and their objectives into letting them tell you what they value. Right. Right? And sometimes it's appropriate to guide them. Yes. Right? And and in a way that's not serving yourself but serving serving them by what they may or may not know. You know, like um you and I might know about volume solids in a gallon of paint and mm -hmm. why Sherwin-Williams duration is better than Sherwin-Williams super paint. Sure. Right? I don't know that most customers necessarily care about that. Right. Yeah. They do care about will the color, uh, will, it, will it retain color for longer? Mm -hmm. uh, will it have better protective benefits? Right. And, and then you have to have an honest conversation with them saying, listen, it will do those things. But if, if budget is a really strong consideration for your project, then these are perfectly acceptable and suitable solutions as well. And it's more in line with what your budget is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I do think that it it is, like you said, I think it does build trust to take the position of I'm also being conscious of your budget. Yes. And it, which is a hard, it's kind of a hard thing to um, express and it's a hard thing to figure out because on one hand, you don't want to kind of shoot yourself on the foot and, and uh, you know, to add, you know, multiple metaphors here, leave money on the table. Um, you know, you don't want to do that. But at the same time, um, I, I agree with you uh, that, that when you say, Hey, um, you know, and I, and I'll, I'll say this often, I'll say, you know, if you've, if you've been, looking at the difference between painting or doing a full remodel, you know, with remodels, you, you could, you could end up spending $80,000. I'm sure, I'm sure you don't want to do that. I'm sure you're looking for something that's more budget friendly. And then, and then we talk about something that, uh, you know, we talk about the painting and, and talk ranges of typical products. But I, I think that that idea of trying to talk about budget is very helpful and valuable with the customer. It, it allows them to feel like you're, collaborating with them rather than trying right. to, to win one over on them. Right. And it takes practice doing that. Well, yeah. Right. My wife, recently, my wife, um, we had our, uh, uh, we had some work done on our patio and it required some excavation work. Right. And the, the company that did the patio, they, they broke through our invisible dog line fence. Mm, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, the technician came out, the dog, the dog fence technician came out. And he asked my wife within like 10 minutes of being there, what's your budget for the repair? Right. Mm. Um, 
I personally think that the way he did it was was tactless. Yeah, right? sure. He went straight to that, basically <laughs> saying, what are you willing to spend? Yeah. I had a conversation with him prior to saying, listen, if it's if it's going to be super expensive, I may entertain the possibility of doing it myself. Right. 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 So but but the other way you can do that is you can if you're if you are knowledgeable enough about your product or services, which is very applicable for paint, you can say, here's one solution that we could offer. Here's another. And here's another. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's true for dog fences. Sure. You know, but but certainly there are there are all there. There are normally multiple ways to address a problem. Right. Right. And part of what being a good salesperson is or identifying this trait or developing this trait in a sales team member would be presenting value while leaving the door open to adjust your value proposition, be it price, services, or whatever, to accommodate what their needs are. Oftentimes, I think one of the biggest mistakes painting contractors make is that they'll submit a bid and they're kind of like, I hope we're the lowest bid or whatever. Right, 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 right. Versus saying, you know, like, hey, we're going to do our best to quantify what we think it will take to yield a high quality end result congruent with what your desires are. You right, know? right. Uh, but listen, every painting contractor is going to see that a little differently. It's not an exact science. So feel free to fire back any questions you may have. I can help you navigate the differences maybe between the bids that you've received, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I have to give my 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 former business partner a lot of credit. He was deeply committed to writing very detailed bids, right? Yes. To where if we had that discussion, we had a foundation of explanation of exactly why we were charging what we were charging. Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm. Here's what you were going to get. Here are your options. And what that was, honestly, is just a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. You know, doing the doing the groundwork, laying the groundwork for selling on value. Right, right. I would always say that I could just show up because we'd have these systems in place. I could show up and um, I could ask about, you know, their son or daughter in the choir. Right, yeah. Because I had the tools and the knowledge to make that like almost second nature. You know? Right, right, right. So we committed and devoted a lot of time to developing that. Yeah. So that's another that's another quality actually to Orlando as I'm thinking about it mm -hmm. that is worth identifying in a potential salesperson mm. is their willingness to work hard and commit to learning the business of paint or whatever the subject matter is that they're selling. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that um, you know understanding you know the yeah you you have to educate them on you know what those things are and in particular for the salespeople. You have to educate them on what the hard costs are, because when we talk about price customization, which is really what we're talking about here, we're yeah. talking about price customization um, and and kind of molding the, the bid to the very specific needs of the customer, whether they be. Yeah, I, I really do want the high quality paint or I, you know, I'm just moving and I don't need high quality and being willing to have those conversations. I, I remember, um, you know, very recently, um, maybe four or five weeks ago, uh, maybe six, I was, I was in a sales process, uh, doing a, doing a virtual bit of it, been doing a lot of virtual bids lately. And as we were, uh, as I was working with the, the customer, we were in a, a, a virtual meeting, kind of like, uh, you and I are in now. Um, and 
I was pulling out those things, you know, what, what is she, what value, what is she, what, you know, what does she care about? What is, what are those things? And I told her up front that when we get to the price, that that is a discussion. It's a back and forth discussion. I'm not going to just leave her with the price and say, let me know. We're going to look at that price. We're going to look at the, the line items. We're going to go through, we're going to figure out which, you know, rooms we want to keep in. We're going to talk about the quality of the the prep. We're going to talk about the paint quality. We're going to put together a package that's going to work for you. That's right. And what was interesting about it as we as we started to have this dialogue and this conversation, she ended up dialing back the prep. Mm -hmm. But she was like, well, what would it cost if I upgraded paint? And so she she was she there were things that she cared about that I didn't anticipate. You know, if, if it were me, I probably would have gone in the opposite direction. I probably would have said, well, let's increase the quality of the prep and, and we'll deal with, you know, we'll deal with well, the, the what pain. happened there, I think, is you invited her into the process. Yeah. Right? And right. you invited her into the decision making process. And she probably felt welcomed by that. And my guess is that you were. Uh, you were super competent in your presentation of the of the of the options. Right. So by by your competency and your expertise, she felt like she could trust you, right? And it wasn't exactly. you know like and and what what that said to her. I if I'm making if I were a fly on the wall, it might be like I I can trust this guy. I like this guy. He clearly knows what he's talking about. I want to work with this guy so much so that I'm willing to adjust either my scope, my prep, or my paint because he's the guy, him and his people, I right. are the ones I want to work with. That's right. That's right. That's that's exactly what happened. And she and she went with us. She closed on the spot and uh and we wrapped up that job uh uh maybe a week or so ago and she was really happy, you know. So Yeah, that's and that's 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 how it should go and that's that's really where Ultimately, um, and, and the painters had to deliver on the work too, right? They did. They did. They had to yeah. deliver on the work. They did. And um, that is absolutely critical is that salespeople trust that the company is going to deliver on what on the work they say they're going to do. That's right. right. That's right. So as a salesperson, you have to be as committed. And I'm not saying you got to go paint or you got to go do production or scheduling, but you have to care about it as much as those people producing the work do. Yeah. And, and to, to, to kind of help those people out, you really have to have, you have to, your salespeople and your, and your production people, they have to be in consistent contact with each other. Yep. Um, I wouldn't say like constant contact, like you don't want them to be on the phone three times a day discussing the details yeah. of like what's going wrong and what's yeah, going right. How, how heavy should I load up my roller? That's a waste of time. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, checking in on, you know, at, at our company, we do a, uh, a daily stand-up meeting, 15 minutes. If you've, if you've sold the job, you're on the call, on that stand-up call with the crews that you've sold for so that they can say what's got, you know, what got done, what's happening. And if there's any immediate feedback, you give it then. But, we set up a cadence of meetings every two weeks where we are uh, having a full review and retrospective on how those jobs went so that our crew can be honest with the salesperson about the accuracy of the bid. 
And then the salespeople can ask questions of the crew so that they're able to increase the accuracy of the bid. And ultimately, what we're trying to get at is understanding those, the cost of labor. How much time yep. does it actually take yep. to, to do the job? Because if you don't give them enough time, they're going to rush through it and they're not going to deliver. And they're going to be miserable when they're at work. Exactly. And they're not going to do a good job. And and then they'll be mad because it was underbid. And then the customer's mad because the outcome isn't good. And then you're, as a salesperson, it's pulling you back and over and over and over again, right? Right, right. Which means you have to get better at selling a higher price because you got to put more time in the job. Yep, that, you know? that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, and, and kind of circling back to the, you know, we, we kind of talked about the, the criteria of what to identify in people building a sales team. Number one, you before you even identify that criteria, this is another amazing part about being in the paint business. It's one of the very few businesses that you get to determine what you want it to be. It right. can be a lifestyle business. You can say, I'm perfectly happy running four guys, working nine months out of the year. I have everything I want, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And it's great. And I, I, I take three months off every year and that's the rhythm of my life. Yeah. There's absolutely tons of space in the painting industry to do that. I know guys who do that. Yeah, definitely. Right? Or you can say, I want to make, money hand over fist. I want to run a bunch of guys. I want to crank and produce and, you know, you can make money doing it. Right. Right. First things first is you got to kind of decide what it is you want to be. Right. And then you got to find people or, or no people that, that are aligned with what that is. Right. You know what I mean? And in, in my background in the painting kind of painting company I was involved with, we were more of the latter. We wanted to yeah. We're in the meat of our careers. We want to be as successful as possible, earn as much money for, for our painters and for our family as we could, right? As we can. Yeah. So, so what that meant is people that I look for, or skills or attributes that we looked for, identified in prospective employees, really, I think of four, right? Curiosity, mm -hmm. right? And sincerity. Mm -hmm. Number two is a willingness to work hard. Yeah. I know that's sort of corny, but like working hard, ultimately makes everything else easier because yeah. you become an expert at it. Right. Right. And it, it also gives you credibility with customers, with your coworkers, like hard work equals credibility. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, number three is, is truly just like passion, right? You got to care about what you're doing. You've maybe heard some salespeople say, Oh man, I love people that are money motivated. Mm -hmm. right? That's not my thing. That, yeah. that, that, that's motivating to a degree. Right. right? I've right. always said that the, the people that enjoy their job the most are the people where money is like the unintended consequence of showing up and doing something that you really like to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, for sure. So, so those things, and there was a fourth in there, but now I'm, I'm forgetting what it is. <laughs> There's nothing else in there, but those are three pretty good starting. Points. Those are three. Yeah, they, yeah. they really are. So, so I, back to kind of like the, um, some of the more tangible aspects of, of, uh, you know, putting together a, a bid for, you know, in terms of teaching your salespeople how to do this. Um, you know, I, I mentioned understanding the actual labor costs and that, and a lot of that is going to be, um, doing the, the time studies, um, you know, figuring out what, you know, the, the production rates are of your crew, um, understanding your material costs, yep. um, on the other side of the cost is the potential upside, the, you know, the, the, the markup. Mm -hmm. 
Um, how do we, how do, how do you get your salespeople to understand the, the markup and to consistently produce profitable work? Cause it's one thing to produce work that, okay, there are enough hours in the job. There's enough, you know, we're ordering enough paint, but mm -hmm. then making sure that it's profitable, you know, where can we, how do we coach and train our people to, to produce profitable sales? Well, I, Th that that is the byproduct of a few things, I think. Um, number one, it is about reading your customer, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's part of it. But you're exactly right, Torlando, and that there's essentially there's there's a there, there's very few things to consider when you're trying to bid a profitable paint job. How much time is it going to take? How much materials are we going to need? Yeah. How do we how do we make money on both of those aspects? Yes. Right. Yes. That's the bot. That's the name of the game in the paint industry. How do we yes. make money on labor? How do we make money on materials? Yes. Right. So, so, and again, I go back to just uh, giving credit where credit's due. Uh, my former business partner, we had, we kept great records. So let's, let's say we went and, and painted, you know, 200 garage door frames at a townhome association. Mm -hmm. Right. So we would cost out every single job and we'd know what jobs were good for us, what jobs you know, were average for us, what jobs fell below our desired, you know, profitability criteria or whatever the case may be. And that's a function of systems, mm -hmm. right? Understanding that as a function of systems and then putting salespeople in the right position to succeed, yes. right? Or putting painters in the right position to succeed to do the jobs in the, in, in, in an acceptable time frame, right? right? Right. And, and I think um, ultimately um, it's a dance then like, let's say I know that when we do lap siding jobs, right, hardy lap siding jobs or something, yeah. those are great because, you know, like it doesn't absorb paint nearly as heavily as like 30 year old cedar or whatever. Right. Yeah. Or LP siding. I don't know. It's regional. Right. Do you guys have LP siding in Indiana? Uh, I don't know. I actually don't hardy, know. I, though, right? Yeah, we have hardy for okay. sure. So it's it's all these considerations where, you know, if you if you call on the the history of the jobs you've produced. And you run the bid and before you present it to the customer, you might say, well, this job did this profitably. Maybe we can charge a little higher charge rate and make more money on labor because we know we're going to use less material. Yeah. And that is a function of, you know, monitoring, costing out jobs accurately and closely. Right. Because when, when you have that, you can sell differently. We would always tell our salespeople, don't sell out of desperation. Right. We don't want to sell out of desperation. It reeks. Yeah, you know? totally. So, so profitability sometimes, and I, I think I got better at this as my career progressed, like understanding, like, let's say you kind of knew, you probably can do this. You can walk into any job and within a, within a threshold of say 10%, you probably know when you put pen to paper and you do whatever estimating practices you engage in, you probably know within a variance of 10% how much that's going to cost. Oh right? yeah. 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 I picked, up, then, I picked up I picked up a habit from another guy I had on the show. He said, uh, if, if you're good at that, you know, ask him, hey, do you, did, by the way, do you think this job is going to be more than 15 grand or, or less? And then they'll, they'll always say less, but that's a little anchoring, you know, and then you and if you know it's going to be like 10, then, you know, then yeah, right, like, oh, great. You know, but anyways, and, I, I and reading that in the moment, whether or not it's appropriate to broach that subject with the client. Right. Or whatever the case may be. But then like you kind of, you can engage with customers 
and, 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 and sometimes they'll, they'll volunteer that very freely. Yes. Right. Yeah. And they might say my budget's 10 and your true bid when you put it together might be six. Right. And you might, you might know that, Hey, I think I can charge 7,800. It's still going to be low, be way below their desired budget or what they thought was in their head. Right. Right. And it's not an irresponsible price because you would charge six and you'd be an okay job. It's an opportunity. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and half the jobs go sideways anyway. So you got to sure. have padding. <laughs> so they... well, and and, and, and the, the truth is, is the, the price of something is whatever someone's willing to pay for it. That's yeah. the price. Yeah. Right. So don't feel bad if you've got a customer that wants to pay and you make a, if you make high profits on a job because they've indicated to you that they're willing to pay X, X amount of dollars, you don't have to, you don't have to feel bad about that at all. Right. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so then, uh, you know, I think, I think that's the key, right? It's that, it's that tracking, it's that understanding, um, you know, there's, there's a level of transparency that, that you have to provide to your salespeople, but there is, I think at its core, you have to have a model that is simple, you know, easy to understand, yep. easy to, easy to know what your costs are going to be easy to know what the markup needs to be and easy to know what the wiggle room is because, yes. because you do need to give salespeople wiggle room. Yes. It's, it is supply and demand. I, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, you can't mindset your way out of, uh, you can't, you can't beat the, you know, the demand curve uh, of, you know, they're just laws. They're economic laws that govern a capitalist society. Yes. I mean, you, you can, you can run your business differently and you can change your expectations around profitability if you need to keep guys busy or something like that. Sure. But at the end of the day, like you really, you know, like you have to be, you, you have to be pretty clear on what your objectives are and you have to understand that they're going to change from time to time. Yes. Yes. And the salespeople have to understand that too. That's right. right? That's Sale, right. Like we had a commission model for our salespeople and some jobs, they made a pile of money and hardly had to do any client engagement. Yes. Right? They tend to forget about those. Right. They only remember the ones that they didn't make hardly any money or the job was underbid. Right. They didn't make a commission because, you know, it was underbid and it was a pain in the neck job. Right. They tend to remember those ones. Right. 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 And then it becomes this balance of like, Instilling in, in paint salespeople or any project salespeople where there's variables that aren't always in your control to just say, hey, if you bid 100 jobs and you produce 80 of them, mm -hmm. some are going to be good, some are going to be bad. Yeah. Look at everything on balance. That's really important to do in the paint industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I guess that is the, that's maybe a question that I have is, and, and a fear that I, that I have, and, and it's something I honestly run into is if the job is underbid, how does that impact the the pay of the the salesperson? Because I've kind of been operating from the standpoint of like, well, the the salesperson's commission is more or less fixed, but the you know if if the sure. if the painters need more money and more time to do the job, then all of a sudden the you know, that, that screws up the company's money. So how, how do you navigate that? That totally becomes a function of, of whatever system you have in place. Right. And mm -hmm. then there is a necessity for those systems. 
Yes. And then as owners, um, understanding when it's appropriate to deviate from that system mm -hmm. and when it's not. Okay. Right. And, and ultimately this is more of an owner quest. Like, and, and some of this I think is geared towards your company owners, right? Largely. Sure. Um, understanding that if you're going to make a concession, like if a job is underbid and you, and the company doesn't make its desired profitability or like, did the, you have to make the judgment call? Did that salesperson, did he or she, um, did they, did they do everything they could? Right. Mm -hmm. did, or, or were they lazy, fair hands up in the air? Nothing I can do. Right. Yeah. Right. What, and then you have to ask yourself, um, what will keep them motivated? What will keep them incentivized appropriately? Is it praise? Is it money? And it might vary from person to person. Mm, and you have mm -hmm. to you have to kind of adapt your management style for each person, you know? Right. And you have to be cautious not to um to um there have there has to be accountability, you know? Um and that has to be articulated correctly. Yes. Right? If we say, well, the company needs to make money or something like that, like that's true. But I think there's just a general understanding that those at the top of the food chain of any company mm -hmm. are going to make money. Yeah. Right. So that you have to be cautious with how that gets articulated to the people on down while also teaching them. You know, probably the best way to do it is to say, hey, um, job didn't go exactly as we expected. Thanks for working so hard on it. Um, We'll still pay your commission, but the next time there's a job that comes down the pike like this, we just, you know, we're not going to be able to do it again. Yeah. And do it in a constructive, mm. positive, affirming way so they're not scared to make mistakes. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I think that there, yeah, definitely has to be an understanding of, um, well, as a, as a owner, what your realistic numbers are today. I think a lot of people, they, they consider their numbers all like I, I hear. So I talk to people and they give me numbers and it's like, no, these are not, these are numbers that you're just putting down on paper. These aren't the, these aren't your real numbers. This isn't the, this is what you're tracking. This is what you hope to get. Yes. I hear, I see this all the time when people talk about, you know, bill rate, how much do you charge per hour? Well, we charge $75 per hour. Do you? When you when you go back yeah. and when you cost out the job, was it actually percent more labor hours than you thought you did? It actually is more like forty one dollars an hour. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So so I think a lot of people are are talking numbers and they're they're really talking wishful thinking. But when we get down to the real numbers and you know those and you're looking back at it and your your job costing, um, I do think it's good to have honest, transparent conversations and say, hey this is the reality. It is, to your point, I think on the company, a, a, a measure of goodwill to take the first hit. Yeah. You know, you take, you take the first hit, say, look, you know, we're going to absorb it this time, but we can't, I love that. You know, we can't yeah. keep, we can't keep going like this the if next you're gonna, time. If you're going to you. give something up, yeah. you hope that you get something in return. And what you sure. hope you get in return is someone's commitment to being more accurate with their bidding practices. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that and that can if if that's done incorrectly, it can feel penal. It can feel yes. um it can feel um discouraging. And right. that's the hard part is that 
is finding that balance of when to push and pull, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let's kind of pull this all together. You know, we've, we've got, we've got the, the mentality of curiosity, sincerity. I love it. Got identifying um, the, the value that the customer wants and, and aligning your offer to that value. So tons of customization involved in, in, in our estimating processes. We have this idea of understanding the cost of the job and what the markup needs to be. How do we package it all together and present it to the customer so that they'll actually move forward? Yeah, I think, I think the key is having some sort of, like for scale, having some sort of repeatable way to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Where bids are easy to understand, they're, they're, um, they're not overly complex, they make sense to the customer, but the customer can look at it and see what they get, yeah. right? And, and we present them in a way, either it's calling them or sending them an email that, you know, with, a, with the bid attached. And really the, the main objective is let's keep the conversation going. Yeah. Right. This is truly a collaborative approach. I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still very much committed to learning about what your objectives are. You know, that's the number one thing with a, with a contractor model business is that you got to assume you're going to be in a multiple bid situation every single time. Right. 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 So your objective isn't necessarily to just give them a bid and cross your fingers. It's the one they pick. Right. It's to give them a bid as the convert, the, the, the conversation starting point and, and trying to explain my, the mistake I make is I'm not concise enough. Right. Mm-hmm. I, as much as I think I'm a great wordsmith, people generally don't want to read my four paragraph emails. I send. <laughs> that's, that's the English major. In that's you. right. So, so it's finding that balance. And listen, I understand fully that my strategy and approach for sales, my career isn't, it doesn't resonate with everybody. Um, and I have to allow room for other people that I've either, I've either uh, supervised or, mm-hmm. or whom I interact with, that they're going to have a little different approach. But the bottom yeah. line is this, you have to clearly communicate um, what it is that you're presenting. And you have to clearly convey, I think very strongly about this, you have to clearly convey that this is meant to be a conversation yeah, and that you're there to field their questions, concerns, whatever the case may be to instill in them the confidence that they can proceed in working with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That's, that's so true. I think with, you know, too many people, they present the price or they deliver it via email or whatever they do. And then they just wait, you know, to, to hear from the customer and it, that that is not a sales process. That no. is when once you present the price, that to me is the beginning of the sales conversation. If if you think about how consumers are used to buying, they're used to going on Amazon and looking at a product, seeing the price, and then getting sold on why they should choose that one. That's right. Right. Uh the price is way, way in the front of the, of the buying yep. funnel. And, and I love that um, inviting them into a conversation, inviting them into a collaboration and, and saying, now we're not done here. Let's, let's tailor this and customize it further to what you need. And, and that's, um, you know, when I, when I train my own salespeople, um, that's, that's number one. That's the number one thing I teach them is that, Presenting the price is the beginning of the sales conversation. Yeah. And you, and the, the worst thing too, Torlando is this, like this drives me nuts, man. Like when, 
if you ever these sales training seminars that tell ask for the close and there's all these strategies that I'm sure work, but there's no room for saying be yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Be yourself. Show up and, and be yourself. Let them know who you are a little bit, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And forge some sort of connectivity there to where they're interested in having ongoing dialogue, you know? Yeah. And and I can't emphasize that enough because it's just it's it's how we should interact with people just in general. And if there's business components to it, great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Isaac, this has been a really awesome conversation. You did deliver. You over-delivered, my oh, friend. <laughs> I, I hope so. Uh, you you led the charge, man. Uh, tell us, tell us, tell us just real quickly about handy products. Just tell us a little bit, please. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. You know, I, it's now, I'm now involved on the vendor side of this business and it's fun because, you know, it's way different than being a contractor in that, like, uh, it's a product that exists. There's no, there's no changes to it really day to day. It's mm -hmm. not like it's not going to perform. Right. You know, so it's been really fun in that respect. And that I get, I've been in probably 300 Sherwin Williams stores this year just learning about how they engage with our products. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it's fun because everyone kind of does it differently. People like them for different reasons, but what's, what's cool about the product. I would say my favorite thing um, since, since doing this for the last half year or so, almost universally. And you you guys know these pro shows, right? We go to yeah. these, these cities and they do a big pro show and all the pros come to the trade show or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The, the absolute most fun part of this is when painters come up to the, the table that we got, or the booth that we got and they say, man, that's cool. I love that tool. I wish I would have come up with it. <laughs> yeah. you know, something as simple as a, a magnet for your brush or that that's, what's been really fun is just truly seeing how, uh, how much painters really kind of get geeked out about the products. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you, you all listeners, you can check out handy products at your local paint suppliers or they're in big box stores. They're in Sherwin local, uh, you know, your Ben Moore stores, they're everywhere. So uh, thank you. Um, Isaac, uh, this has been a great show. I, uh, appreciate your time today. Um, I look forward to chatting with that afterwards. Um, but yeah, thank you for being on. Yes. Super fun, man. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Hi, man. All right. There we have it. Isaac Vogel with handy products. Great conversation. Um, you know, I, before the, before the show, um, you know, I was, I was curious <laughs> about what, what we were going to talk about. And as I started asking and peering into his past, I was like, oh, this guy's the real deal. He's been there. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you that, um, uh, yeah, the, the, where he's been in the pain industry is, is a place where the, the people that you're looking up to the, the, well, the more well-known names in our industry, he's been there. So, so it was really cool to have that conversation. Um, thank you so much to the PCA for producing this show. Um, if you guys are not members yet, make sure that you become a member. Um, that way you can, you know, stay posted on, on our events that we have coming up. We've got a Spanish event coming up down in Orlando, uh, the 29th of September. Make sure you go to PCA paint ed and register your Spanish speaking, uh, counterparts uh, and if you speak Spanish, nos vemos. All right. That's our show. Thank you for listening. This has been another great episode of Paint Ed.
Painted podcasts are produced by the Painted Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org. 